Pro Se, Law360's weekly podcast. I'm your host, Amber McKinney, and I'm here with my co-host, Bill Donahue. Hello, hello. And Alex Lawson. Hey, guys. Guys, what do we want to talk about today? It's been a rough day for me. Okay. Some of my, Tell us about it. Some of my speculative real estate purchases in Queens have really taken a downturn in the last few hours. I feel um, like this is a tale that's happened to many people today. Yeah. Um, Roller coaster a uh, couple of weeks here for our friend Jeff Bezos. Yeah. Uh, yeah we're, we're alluding to Amazon pulling out of the Long Island City uh, Which, H- I mean, HQ2 deal. Seems like it wasn't. It seems like it seems like they were never going to do it in the first place. Like it, it. I don't know. It didn't seem very well thought out. Well, they followed like, the L train plan, right. obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, it's also Valentine's Day, and yes. I just wanted to say that I love you guys. Aww. And that's all. Um, the feeling is not mutual, but um, okay. I really appreciate it. Uh, and <laughs> oh, it's like when you're a kid in in school, and there's like those like candy gram things or whatever and like Alex just gave us one and Bill just sat it on his desk and walked away. I, ate I mean it. I mean what I mean what else is new? <laughs> you know? uh, we have an interesting show though. Uh Amy, uh, you want to tell them about what we're gonna we talk do. about today? Um we're gonna bring on RJ Vote, who's our reporter that heads up our access to justice coverage. And he's gonna talk about this interesting issue about when someone who has a criminal record can get a clean slate for that. And there's a lot of states trying to address the issue and it's not as easy as you would think on first blush with that issue. So we're going to kind of dive into it with him. Yeah, yeah it's an it was inter- interesting story. Good talk with him, too. Yeah. But before we get to that, we have uh, Alex has an interesting thing to talk about, but we've got a couple of quick things yeah. right up top, um, sort of late breaking stuff uh, that we wanted to get to. Um, yesterday, uh, friend, friend of the show and apparent crime enthusiast. <laughs> Paul Manafort was back in uh, back in federal court. Big bad Paul. We do talk about him on the show a lot. Uh, yeah. Guy likes crime. Always, there just always seems to be something going on with him. So what's the latest, Bill? Um, uh, a federal judge ruled that he lied to prosecutors on multiple occasions. Uh, right. After he had agreed to cooperate with special counsel Robert Mueller's uh, investigation into Russian meddling in the 2016 election. My, my next cooperation deal will be my first, but I understand this to be sort of a core element of the cooperation <laughs> right. deal. You would think that cooperation would be central in any sort of cooperation <laughs> agreement. Not lying. Right. Um, so just to backtrack, Manafort was Trump's campaign manager. Um, he was... Uh, Brought up on a whole bunch of charges uh, last summer. He was found guilty of a bunch of financial crimes. Um, but then there was this other case that dealt with his, you know, his dealings in the Ukraine and all sorts of other things like that. He pleaded guilty in that case in September. And um, part of that deal was that he was going to cooperate with, with the Mueller probe. Mm-hmm. In November, um, the prosecutors filed documents saying that that was not exactly how it had gone and he had been lying about it, and so he was in court today about that, and the judge ruled in favor of prosecutors. They said that um, that Manafort had lied about his interactions with this Russian agent um, that, that the prosecutors believe was involved in, in the plan to subvert the election. Um, so it, it's more not great news for Paul Manafort. I mean, it's... It, 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 I wonder if he ever has a moment where he looks in the mirror and thinks about if he'd have just said... You know, I'm just going to keep being like this, like mostly anonymous DC lobbyist creature. Yeah, I'm going to com- keep committing like quiet crimes from from, <laughs> from obscurity. Perhaps, yeah, it would have been great. But yeah, so now he's going to be sentenced, and he still has to be sentenced in the other case. Like the the government no longer has any obligation to root for him to have a lenient sentence. So um, maybe he's just working for a pardon. I don't know. Um, that that looks to be the backstop. Yeah. So our second story: we're staying in the world of criminal law. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, also yesterday, uh, a, a top 
senior attorney at Apple, um, a former top senior um, <laughs> important distinction attorney, yeah, um, was charged with insider trading. Um, the sort of kicker uh, here is that this was the top attorney at Apple who was in charge of like insider trading compliance. <laughs> so, you know, it's just the world. Fox we live in the in hen now. house. Yeah. Wrote the, wrote the book on how to how to not follow the book. Great. Um, but so there was a civil case filed by the SEC and a criminal case filed by the DOJ, as there often is in these cases. Um, the guy's name was Gene Daniel Levov. Um, and the government claims that he traded on on multiple occasions going back to 2011 on non-public uh, revenue data, like ahead uh-huh. of a quarterly earnings call mm-hmm. or whatever. Um all told, it uh, it netted him two hundred twenty seven thousand dollars in profits, and apparently he avoided um, something like three hundred seventy seven thousand uh, dollars in losses. I gotta um, tell you, I mean, those are not small figures, but you know, if you're working at Apple as a top guy, I just don't know why you'd risk it for uh, that amount of money. I had the exact same thought, where I'm like, this guy is pulling down seven hundred fifty thousand dollars a year salary, like probably more. I don't know, like yeah. like making a even, lot of money. I think he's just skimming a little that, bit. It just doesn't seem worth it. I mean, it's it. I'm I'm speculating. I mean, if, if he's skimming a little bit off the top or whatever you want to say. I mean, it started in 2011. This is probably how he like didn't like you know. But it wasn't. wasn't but that's not what it was. So, okay, yeah, one well, instance it, 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 in, explain it. in the charging documents. Um, in 2015, Levov learned that Apple was going to uh, miss a forecast for iPhone sales. It was a big, okay. big, big, like, blow to the company. Yeah. Um, so what did he do? He sold off roughly $10 million <laughs> of Apple stock, which oh, okay. was pretty much all that he owned of Apple stock. Right before they announced this, they announced it. Um, the shares had a 4% plunge that he avoided completely. They say he... he uh, avoided like four hundred thousand dollars in losses. It, so it that's wasn't not like, even subtle, right? Exactly, and uh, I don't know. Well, it's then just, forget I, what I said. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know what this guy's. Thinking, I don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't get it. I don't get it for like, especially we've talked about it on the show. If there's one financial crime that these people are good at prosecuting, it's insider trading. <laughs> yeah, like there's lots of stuff they're bad at doing, but th- this is the one thing that they're good at catching. Maybe just don't do this one. Right. I don't know. Well, anyway, uh, so. I think going from from the subject of insider trading, we have another thing that we could maybe call insider trading uh, gossip. Yes, the insider trading of information, Bill, uh, in the office specifically. You know, who amongst us doesn't love a little office gossip? We all do it. You get a thrill. You're the you're, goss, the the tea, as they say. <laughs> sure, sure. The spilt, the scuttlebutt. Yeah, you know, you're. It's human nature. You're dis- you're discussing things that ought not be discussed, mm-hmm. um, but. Uh, the Fourth Circuit uh, last week made a specific ruling about gossip and specifically about gossiping about people's um, sex lives in the office and specifically whispers about whether or not someone sort of slept their way to the top, to use mm-hmm. a euphemism, sort of trading sexual favors for advancement in the company. Uh, the Fourth Circuit ruled last week that you know, spreading gossip of that type and fostering it in your workplace can itself lead to a discrimination complaint under Title VII of the Civil Rights Act. That's really interesting yes. because that those kind of rumors really can follow a person's career and yeah. color how people look at them in the workplace. So tell us more about what went on in this litigation. Yeah, I mean, 
Title VII is like, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't know how to measure it, but it's sort of one of the most litigated uh, civil statutes Definitely. that there is. Um, but, there, but there remain blind spots, and this was one of them. Uh, the case uh, was brought by a woman named uh, Evangeline Parker, and the sort of central question is, does a false rumor about using sex to ascend the corporate ladder give rise to a discrimination claim? Uh, the Fourth Circuit says yes now that's that that is what the that that is the sort of ethos of the decision let's lay out the facts before we get into it uh parker was um uh, began working in 2014 uh at a warehouse at a company called uh, rima consulting in virginia uh, over the course of about 18 months she received six different promotions and she eventually became the assistant operations manager of the warehouse mm-hmm. In early 2017, she got wind of a rumor that she had basically slept with her superior to earn those various promotions. Mm-hmm. Uh, the rumor was uh, allegedly started by a jealous colleague, but then also, crucially, um, circulated by the actual head of the warehouse department. So her boss, her like her superiors. Um, Parker sued, basically saying that the rumor and her efforts to debunk it, she sort of addressed it, said this isn't true. Yeah. Um, basically created a hostile work environment and people like they actually turned it back around on her and said you're the one bringing this into the workplace this is inappropriate eventually she's fired for insubordination she sues over that. yeah so i mean this is tasteless as hell and like you know the all sorts of problems but like what is the legal remedy for for like what she can do that's the big question right is like whether the law as we understand it can consider something like this discrimination because we all agree it's maybe gauche or rude or whatever you want to say but it's like does it does it open the door to gender discrimination right. gender-based discrimination that's like the crucial question so she lost in district court the judge in the virginia district court said it simply isn't gender biased uh, or, or gender-based the idea that this kind of rumor could accompany a male worker just as easily so you can't make a discrimination claim over that uh, but the fourth circuit drew a clear line here. They disagreed. Um, They sort of said that the stigma about, you know, sleeping with people to ascend the corporate ladder applies disproportionately and unfairly so to women in the workplace. Um, the, the, The quote here sort of sums it up very neatly from the panel. Speaking of Parker, she plausibly invokes a deeply rooted perception, one that unfortunately still persists, that generally women, not men, use sex to achieve success. And with this double standard, women, but not men, are susceptible to being labeled as sluts or worse, prostitutes selling their bodies for gain. Pretty clearly lays it out there. Sparing no quarter there. Yeah. yeah. Um, So, yeah, I mean, clearly they're sort of when I was reading through the opinion, it actually reminded me of the discussion we had about whether um, LGBT discrimination uh, can because it it, it gets to this question of whether or not, you know, who you are attracted to and who you pursue sexually is tied to your gender identity. Inherently a gender thing. It's a little bit of a different question, but it it has echoes of that in that way. So where does this leave employers? I mean, I think you said that it was crucial here that it was one of the bosses partook in this gossip. Yeah. um, When people were commentating about the ruling, um, a lot of people sort of placed it within the bounds of the Me Too movement and the way that companies and their lawyers are ascertaining the way you know, impropriety can arise in the workplace. And, you know, the idea that um, something like this, which was, you know, previously just considered to be sort of rude and maybe like not something you should even really deal with, 
is, is beyond that. It can get you in actual legal trouble here. This is sort of another possible blind spot that there there were always probably reasons just for best practices to like not have a gossipy culture pervade your office. But now there's an actual legal reason. About one in every three Americans have a criminal record that follows them for life. Some states have tried to pass laws that provide for a clean slate, but it's not going so well for most people. Here to talk with us about the problem is RJ Vote, our access to justice reporter. Happy to have you on the show today, RJ. Yeah, no, I'm excited. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, so I want to talk about this problem. Um, I didn't realize that there are really a, a wide array of Americans that have some kind of criminal record. Um, let's talk about how many people have it and. What kind of problems can they run into having a record from their distant past? Yeah, totally. So the first thing is a criminal record is a really broad thing. It can it can be something like a conviction for a serious felony, or it could be a misdemeanor, or it could be something as small as a run-in with the police where you were arrested but never charged. Hmm. Okay. And um, when you when you realize how broad it is, you realize you know how many people could be affected. Um, it, it, the range is normally given between seventy five million to a hundred million. People with criminal That's records. That's so wow. many more than I would have thought. And, I know, yeah. and it comes up a lot, right? Like people have to deal with this. It sort of hang, looms over people. Completely, yeah. So you know, uh, the statistic is nine in ten employers, four in five landlords, and three in five colleges are using criminal record background checks now. Mm-hmm. Um, this is something that wasn't so common, you know, back in the day when criminal records were in courthouses and in police stations, like these physical, tangible things. But you know, with the internet, anybody can can just do a little search online and find out if something if you have something on your record from, right. from 10 years ago. Right. And on the surface, you know, it's like if someone committed a murder, you like it, it's sort of it, when you don't think about it at all, it makes a lot of sense that you would do a background check for these sure. things. But mm-hmm. then you dig into the problems that it causes. Well, it's also people. crazy. The things you just listed, it's um, your job, where you can live and if you can go to a school right. to, to better yourself. Pretty in some fundamental. Way. So it's all the, the biggest. These things. are the entry points of society in a <laughs> yeah. lot of ways. Yeah. And it, your, your story like whenever you talk about criminal justice reform issues like writ large, it's you grapple with questions about like what the purpose of the justice system is. Is it rehabilitative? Is it punitive? Things like that. This gets to the core of that. So, you know, having established how how sort of widespread the issue is, if you are a person who has a criminal record, what tools are at your disposal to, you know, expunge yourself? Right. So a lot of states have some kind of ability to expunge certain kinds of things. And, and that's really the problem for people is that it's very narrow. So, you know, almost every state will allow you to steal something that was a juvenile record. Some states are starting to allow people to steal things that are no longer a crime, like a marijuana possession in California or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but these these laws that have, exist, you know, they require a lot of legwork. You have to file a petition. Sometimes you have to get a pardon from the governor. Um, you know, it's not like there's laws in place to help people with this, but they're not, it's not like a, a one and done deal. Well, last year we saw a lot of new, we saw a lot of new progress on this, right? People trying to make this process, you know, streamlining it, do, making tweaks to all these different laws that, that, that make it easier for people to do this, right? Right. So there's been a lot of research being done in the last about 10 years about these problems where people are having to get housing or to get a job or, or things like that. And states are, are listening to the advocacy community and they're starting to widen the ability for people to to get these records sealed, right? So I think 20 different states passed laws that increased the availability for record sealing for people. So 
a lot of states patting themselves on the back saying, you know, we're going to make it easier for somebody who is a victim of sex trafficking for their them to wipe their name from the records mm-hmm. or for somebody who, you know, has has one of these non-conviction arrests from a long time ago. If it's been more than 10 years, okay, you know, we're going to let them sweep it under the rug. Well, that all sounds great. Problem solved. We're done here. <laughs> Um, Send the show. Yeah. I mean, it it does actually sound really good. I can see why lawmakers would be excited in those 20 states that they've beefed up the options for people that have these things in their distant past. Why is this not working out so well? Well, so the problem is that, as often happens with legal processes, it's just not that easy. Um, and, And even before that, not a lot of people know about it. So New York passed a law that allows people with records that are more, you know, something that was more than 10 years ago, it's a relatively small offense, they can get it cleared. But how do you know that that law was passed if you're not like following the news at Albany every day, right? Right. Like there's no poster on the subway that says, did you commit a minor misdemeanor more than 10 years ago? Call this number to get, you know, that that messaging isn't really out there, so people yeah. don't know. The bureaucracy is somewhat inaccessible. Well, it's really easy. In that way. It's really easy to write a law. It's a lot harder to get funding for advertising and all sorts yeah. of other well, things. Well, how yeah. hard is it in some of these places to even do it, even if you do know? Right, totally. So, and then that's the second thing is once you find out, you have to find out if you're eligible. So that means getting a copy of your own background check. Which, fun fact, you most of the time have to pay. In almost every state, you have to pay around fifty bucks to mm-hmm. get your okay. own criminal record, which is wild. Like you get a medical record for free from your doctor, yeah. Yeah. but you have to pay to access your own criminal history. Anyway. You, if you get your criminal history, you find out you're eligible. Well, then you have to maneuver this process. You have to fill out a form that lists every time you had a run in with the police and where it was and what happened. And you know, the the court side of things could just look this up in the database, but they're relying on you to remember everything. And if you have something wrong, then that might invalidate your whole mm, your sure. whole report. You know, you also have to detail in the New York um, in the New York form. I'm thinking of you have to detail why you're ready to have this you know sealed. Why you've like come come clean and you're a good person now but they only give you two lines two blank lines yeah. to so if that really not, jumped out to me and when reading your story like the the depth of reporting we're like you were talking about bill about how, how how difficult it is to actually implement something like this like critics of of the law and the way it's been rolled out is just like yeah. yes like the actual form you fill out is like not sufficient enough to like, explain you know some 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 terrible thing that happened to you over a decade ago right so i was talking with a legal aid attorney and she was like I help my clients. We fill out, you know, an affidavit. We attach things to it. It's like a real full file. But if you're just looking this up online, trying to do it in your own, you're not going to do that. Right. And your two line explanation is going to be pretty weak. And getting onto the subject of lawyers, you, you know, your story mentioned that there are there are need based services. But for, you know, someone who just has a, 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 a something on their record and and they have the ability to pay for it, it can be a few thousand dollars, right? Oh, absolutely. If you if you just Google online, you know, the first thing anybody would do when they hear, oh, I could get a seal, they say, you know, record sealing in New York, and and all the websites that first come up. You call them and they'll tell you, you know, oh, it's going to be $1,500 if we have to go to court. There could be another $1,000 because, you know, district attorneys can challenge these these efforts. Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden, if you're not if you're not poor enough to qualify for legal aid, then you could be looking at a pretty serious expense. The other thing that really struck me in your story was bringing up um, a problem that even if they jump through all these hurdles, you have paid the money, you found out a way to fill out the forms appropriately, you, you get this all sealed. That doesn't completely solve your problems, right? Because the internet keeps and knows everything. Exactly. This is one of the most uh, tricky, I I think the trickiest aspect of this whole record ceiling thing is, um, you know, records don't happen on a blockchain. It's not like you you clear it in one place and all the other places that knew about it also changed that moment. Like, you know, if mugshots.com got your mugshot when you got arrested and they've had it all this time, even if you seal your official criminal record, if you Google your name, your mugshot's probably still on right. mugshot.com. They, scrape, they scraped the system 
two years ago and right completely mm-hmm. and then the same thing with like you might clear your record in New York but you need to send you need to send a notice to all the places all the law enforcement agencies that you ever interacted with and then they have to update their records too so there's a lot of there's a lot of room for mistakes there's a lot of room for you know this leftover kind of the residue of a, of an interaction with the criminal justice system is hard to get rid of. Well, and some of it, you, you said, or the the story seemed to make it out that some of it was almost like bad faith, right? That it's the, that there's these reputation organizations and stuff like that. Yeah, there's this amazing litigation. Uh, Law Three Sixties actually covered it, where somebody is suing Mugshot.com because they're alleging that there's like Mugshot.com, and then next, then there's ads on Mugshot.com for reputation management. And if you go to reputation management, they'll say. We have an agreement with Mugshot.com. We can help them get it removed. It's only going to cost you five hundred dollars, and then you get it. Re- you t- you get them to get it removed, and you know the litigation alleges that th- those two companies are basically owned by the same people. We're like, the exclusive Mugshot.com wow. removal vendor. It's the, it's the it's the window repair company going around breaking the windows. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to 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 not put too fine a point on it, but yeah, yikes, no, completely. And so then you end up with these situations where people, you know, they get it removed from one site and then it pops up on this other site, and then you've also got newspaper accounts of you sure. know the crime log is a classic news. You know, who doesn't love reading the yeah. old reading the old blotter? Well, people's names, even if you got your record cleared, that that record in the newspaper is still there. Sure. So, uh, yeah, a lot of states, like you said earlier, got more into the game this past year trying to beef this up and, and help people with this problem. And now we've talked about all the ways that's failing. Is there anybody getting it right? What's the next frontier to try to make this better? Yeah. So the big move that happened this year is towards automation. Um, so you saw Pennsylvania pass something called the Clean Slate Act, and a very similar piece of legislation was filed at the national level. Basically, this idea is instead of requiring people to figure everything out, file the petition, get the copy of the record, all of that, it's just going to happen automatically. Hmm. So so if it's been 10 years in Pennsylvania and you have a certain kind of crime and you're eligible, the court's just going to do it. They're going to find all eligibility within their system and they're just going to automatically seal these old records for people who you know may not even realize that the record was there. They may not even realize it's being sealed, but it's just being taken care of so that those people don't encounter the barriers that they have been encountering. Thanks, RJ. That's a good way to end our segment with a positive note of what the next wave of change might be. Yeah, thanks for having me on. show is something offbeat and guys i want to talk about a jury trial in a boston federal court that's going on right now and some interesting evidence introduced therein right yeah that's exactly what it is um so this trial our boston court reporter chris villani has been covering it it's a racketeering trial it's about um several pharma executives who prosecutors say colluded together um to get doctors to prescribe their opioid-based painkiller. Yeah, God, this sounds like an offbeat subject. Companies Just... called Insys, and they were basically <laughs> they were basically accused of bribing doctors to like prescribe like heavily addictive drugs. Yeah, they say that the executives, um, particularly this guy named Alex Berlikoff and the head of the company John Kapoor, they set up this sham speaker program where they would pay these kickbacks essentially to doctors mm-hmm. if they would prescribe a bunch of this fentanyl spray that they that they really boy, lighthearted is, stuff so far as you say so far i can't yeah, wait till yeah. can't wait till the next punchline hits <laughs> <laughs> and i think that's what jurors probably thought they were getting when mm-hmm. they were assigned to this case but um 
it, what what turned out to happen is that a music video was shown in court on Wednesday. Okay. So that's why this is in our offbeat section. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a video that the company produced for their 2015 national sales meeting, and it has this guy, the former head of sales, dressed as a giant bottle of this fentanyl spray, mm-hmm. and several employees rapping about increasing dosages. So, and we're gonna play a clip of this now because it's it's a little it's just crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, you're gonna hear them referring to titration. And that's when doctors increase the dosage of a drug for patients over time because patients become, um, uh, they have higher and higher tolerances. So then they prescribe more and they rap about all this to the tune of an ASAP Rocky song. I love titrations, yeah, that's not a problem. And I got new patients and I got a lot of them. I love titrations, yeah, that's not a problem. I mean, <laughs> even outside the context of like a tragic drug epidemic and yeah, the role yeah. in it, I, like this is a bad look, just even in a vacuum. Like, yeah, it, it really is. Particularly, I mean, I know we just uh, for the listeners just played a clip of it, but seeing the full video is is yeah. even extra I, on top of all of it. I'd go so far as to say I hated it. Yeah, yeah, so that seems fair. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is a kicker at the end of this video. Berlikoff, that head of sales guy, mm-hmm. he's revealed at the end to be the man who's dressed up in this giant spray bottle. Pay no attention real. to the man inside the bottle. M Night Shyamalan stuff happening here. Yeah. Whoa! I love titration. Yeah, that's not a problem. Guys, that's their head of sales. I think they really, <laughs> I think they really missed an opportunity to not do Papa Roach. <laughs> Titration, no breathing. Oh, look at you. Oh, see, that's that's really something. I mean, well, I, I, yeah. I would encourage anybody uh, who has even the slightest interest in this to go to Law Three Hundred and Sixty. We have a story where we embedded this video so people can see it. It really is a crazy piece of evidence. I can imagine that the jury watching it. Probably were really confused you, about, um, you know, they thought they were in this pretty standard trial, and then you see this. Well, yeah. you know, what you you kind of hinted at this, Bill. Even even outside the context of this very serious issue facing the country, separately, has there ever been like a good news story about an internal marketing video? No. I feel like every time it comes out, it's like someone did something racist or someone did something very offensive or someone did something incriminating in this, in this regard, perhaps. They're not really thought out. Just don't make them. That's what I say. I mean, I'm not a corporate compliance man, but there's, there's a law 360 uh, internal video that I hope never sees the light of day. I I actually, not because we're incriminated. It's just incredibly embarrassing. I actually (laughs) love that one. It's got all of our colleagues, um, really just jazzed up about the news. Well, we'll leave that one for another show. I think. (laughs) Yeah. We'll definitely leave, leave that one on the cutting room floor. Thanks for being with me today, Alex. It's been a pleasure. And Bill. See you again next week, guys. We also want to thank our producers, Kelly Marcano and Stephen Trader. Our guests this week, RJ Vogt. Contributing reporters this week, Michelle Gorman, Chris Villani, Vin Guerreri, Mike Lasusa, and Aaron Leibowitz. Music for the show comes from Silent Partner and Little Glass Men. And if you want to know more about anything we talked about, check out our website at law360.com slash podcast. That's also where you can find that great insus video. And if you like the show, please subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, everywhere you listen to podcasts, and leave us a review. It really helps others find us. Thanks, and see you again next week.